Welcome to Music Fishbowl. Hello, welcome to episode 12 of um, Music Fishbowl, Music Chatter for All. Way. Um, so, today uh, I uh, would just like to quickly, before we start, um, uh, just my plea again to subscribe to the podcast if you do like it. You don't have to, but um, if you do, it does really help me. Every download is already a listen uh, before you even listen to it, so that, that helps. And if not, um, please just leave a rating anyway, whether it's good, bad, whatever. Um, a, I like to see what you guys like about the podcast, and if you do like it, but also... I it, it just helps push the podcast further so and it costs nothing and it's quick and easy just tap on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen on so yeah please just do that um but today I'm here with music fishbowl uh, staple <laughs> I'm back Tayo <laughs> hello good to be back <laughs> yeah nice thanks for coming on again mate as, as always um something that uh, caught my attention this week was because I was watching Rick Beato's YouTube channel he's great and he had Ted Gioa on. I am pronouncing that Joya. right, yeah? Joya, ah! Ted he just Joya. went over this. I'm sorry. Oh, we hit record. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> no, yeah, Ted Joya was on anyway then. Um, but he said something that really... He said two things that hurt my interest, actually. I, I might go into both, just... Yeah. And um, the first one was that if you look at all forms of art, right, they're all in the medium that they produce that art on, whether that be you know, DVDs, Blu-ray for film or... Um, in all other arts really um they've all improved apart from one art because at the moment films are at the top as what they can be in theory of or in, in terms of the quality that's being produced as in the quality of sound quality of picture etc etc sometimes they go back to you know filming on film and not digital and stuff but it's quite rare whilst in music <laughs> the sales format that is selling the most and is the predominant one is a, is a mm. format from 70 plus years ago mm. <laughs> so it's never actually they decided to not eat what well, they tried to improve but even when the improvements were made people didn't like them as much well it's I the mean, convenience of cds and things yeah what does improvement even mean because i think it's a widely held wisdom that analog sounds better yeah well to the human ear it's lower fidelity but it sounds better to the human it ear. sounds better to the human yeah. ear so what does it mean for improvements and i think with film it's almost an inevitable thing anyway mm. because 30 years <clears> ago <throat> the films being produced were the best quality films that they could yeah. be produced at that time anyway I know. yeah um, i know um it's yeah it's just something you said it just just interested me just to think of that because i've never thought of it in that way that the only art form that is going backwards to an older form of you know way of putting out the art is music there's no other way uh I mean, not the only art form well, I the only say. the only pop culture type art form. Okay. I mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not like in. Uh, yeah. I mean. I, I mean. Yeah. You you you, you can write a, a novel in the style of whoever from two hundred years ago. Is this just want, you diverting but... me from talking about poetry for no, twenty no, no, minutes no, no, ago? No. 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 It's not at all. But, but it's, it's, yeah. I see. I see what you mean. But then again, um, I wonder what else we can do with music distribution that isn't, you know, there's three options streaming or digital or analog anyway well they're, they're talking about the uh old i think they spoke about it on the podcast like something called like ultra vinyl or something like that which is like the next step up for vinyl records and essentially but the idea of it is that it sounds so much better than any other format can potentially ever sound that people will then convert to going back to buying physical formats again 
Um, and use it in conjunction with streaming and things. Sounds like a cool name. Yeah, it's, it's something along those lines. I can't really remember it. But Do you play it on actual some... record players? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't know if it would be played on like the same setup that I've got. Might have my only setup for it, but it's the equivalent of going from Blu-ray to 4K. Like It's mm. that version, so yeah, there's talks about doing it. They're trying, they're testing it out. Uh, my, thing, my main thing is, I think, actually making environmentally friendly records is probably more of a pressing issue right now and mm. to be honest we should be going down that route um and they are but i'm gonna imagine the sound quality isn't that good considering no one's really even like the people who like people like jack white who would try to do that haven't tried it yet they would not decided not to do it um <laughs> like i get that costs could be higher in doing that but as an experiment jack white would so, but yeah, he also said something else on the podcast that interested me as well, um, and just made me happy that Spotify. If you subscribe to Spotify, the more you use Spotify, the less money they make out of it, which is why they sell subscription, not music. If you get what I mean, like they are, they they, they don't sell. There was I don't know if it's a mm, true yeah, thing, but they, there was something like going around the Spotify offices supposedly that allegedly that was you know we don't sell music, we sell subscriptions. Mm. But yeah, the more you use Spotify, the least money they get from your subscription, basically. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, if we think of like capitalist models of business being ones that need to constantly accumulate profit, Spotify relies on a model essentially where people don't use all, their stuff. Well, there's always new people subscribing, but if there's, you know, which is almost a self defeating goal because then if one day the whole world subscribes, they're going to get no new subscriptions. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not an economist, I'm not a business person. The thing is, I, I mean, I listen to Spotify probably for three hours per day at least, right, mm. um, commutes and things like that. Overnight as well, believe it on overnight, things like that. I probably burn up a lot of my subscription. They probably don't make that much out of me at all. Mm. But where they make that money is people who have it and just put it on, on a playlist mm. when they're at a party mm. with people and stuff like that. And it's like, that's where they're making their, their dollar. Um, it's kind of like a buffet. It's like I... a gym membership as well. Yeah. You know, the gym doesn't lose money when you go. But the least busy, less busy the gym is, more likely people are going to join as mm. well. So. Yeah, that is true. Actually. Yes, yeah. it's like That's a buffet, as you say. Actually, yeah. I paid for it. I'm going to use it as much as I yeah. can. <laughs> Even what... if I don't want to listen to music or listen to podcasts, I'm going to put one on. Any... Like I'm paying for this time. <laughs> yeah, basically. As well, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to make it my mission, though, to just ensure that even albums I buy on vinyl, I also listen to on Spotify, just to take a bit of money off of them. It's for the artists as well. <laughs> yeah, you... exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've already paid my money to them, but I can give them a little bit extra, yeah, exactly. even if it's only like a couple of pence, it's a little bit extra. Yeah. But if everyone did that, everyone on Spotify gave a little a couple of pence to their favourite artists, they, you know, you never know. Anyway, um, music news. Music news. Music news. Music news. Music news. Okay, so music news this week. We have to start on quite a sad note. It's been quite a few um, sad stories this week. Um, starting off with Steven Tyler from Aerosmith entering rehab uh, after relapsing on pain pills uh, from foot surgery. Um, Aerosmith have cancelled their June and July shows and I believe a Las Vegas resident, uh, residency as well. Um, so we're wishing him all the best and getting back as soon as he can to his uh, regular healthy state. Because as, as a 70 plus year old man, he is quite a healthy 70 plus year old man. So that's good. Um, Greek prog rock star and Oscar winning composer uh, Vangelis has passed away at the age of 79. 
Uh, an artist in his own right, uh, Vangelis was best known for his film scores, including Bra uh, Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire. Um, and they continue to influ uh, influence a lot, like electronic music to this day. Um, so he's a huge artist, again, one that will be sorely missed. Um, in terms of other um, uh, passing aways, we also have Ian White, the drummer of prog rock band Yes, uh, has passed away at age 72, which nowadays feels young. Mm, does actually feel young. Um, he died peacefully at his, uh, in his American home uh, after a short illness. During his career, he also worked with John Lennon, George Harrison, Joe Cocker. Uh, he's a very uh, virtuoso who will live on through his music forever. Um, and uh, Depeche Mode's keyboardist also passed away, Andy Fletcher. Um, he was age 60. Um, so another one, another one lost young, yeah. Um, he's a founding member of the band. Uh, Messages of Love have flooded social media for him. Um, he remained with the band throughout his whole 40-plus year career. Um, and again, another one will be dearly missed. Um, but moving on to more positive things, have you, have you got any news this week? Is there anything that you wanted to mention before I move on? No? I don't think so. I mean, I know that we're talking oh, there's about There's something stuff later. that is in the news that you want to talk about later, so we can save it. Yes. Cool. All right, we'll do that then. That's fine. Cool. So, um, okay, so uh, something that pleased me and will please a lot of my followers is that records and memorabilia once owned by John Peel, uh, the Radio 1 DJ, um, are being sold at auction, including a signed mono pressing of uh, uh, Len John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Two Virgins album, which is an avant-garde record they did in the 60s. Um, so hopefully that'll make... I assume it's for charity. I, I can't see why it wouldn't be for charity. He's, I mean, he's not alive anymore. So I assume it'll be for a charity of some sort. Um, uh, another one is that Mark Owen from Take That has turned 50 years old this week, uh, which feels weird. Um, he says that he hopes his new solo album will make him cool after wanting to be as cool as Jason or Howard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think anyone saying that they want their album to make them cool automatically makes them notoriously uncool. But... I know. Right. Hopefully that's the level of irony that takes yeah, I, that I, 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 I think th I think he is being ironic. It was said in tongue in cheek in the in, in the article I read. Um, this is to be his first solo album in the decade. Um, he says it'll at least be he'll at least be the coolest guy on the album. <laughs> so, so I assume it will be. Uh, uh, it was tongue in cheek. Um, in terms of uh, another release that's coming out this week, but it's like a deluxe version. Is uh, Ronnie James Dio, his 1983 album Holy Diver. It's getting a re-release um, for what would have been its 80th, uh, his 80th sorry, birthday, because um, he passed away quite a few years ago now. Um, it's a four, a four CD release with the remastered album, uh, a remix by Slipknot's Joe Bonessi, um, hope I pronounced that right. Um, a live album recorded in California in 1983, uh, outtakes, edits and b-sides, it'll be one of those big bumper packs, so if you're a big fan you'll enjoy that. Um, a bit of sort of show busy celebrity news, Robbie Williams and Jimmy Page could once again be continuing that ongoing feud um robbie's plans uh robbie plans to basically uh do a 46 week long building works on his house in holland park um jimmy page is a neighbor so and he's hotly contested these plans for a long long time um because they were submitted like years ago um and he says because he thinks his house could be damaged basically um but robbie has made loads of concessions uh, like concessions for him like um uh, so builders only using handheld tools and thinks that's all controlled and everything, um, which was a victory for Paige uh, after a five-year battle that they've already had over this. 
<laughs> so it's like a bit of gossiping news there. And we're moving more into the I wish I had stuff. those problems. I know, right? Yeah, could you imagine? I mean, I think he's literally building like an underground swimming pool, like it's just a basement mm. swimming pool. I think that's actually all he's doing. I'm quite surprised that like a house owned by like a superstar doesn't have a swimming pool anyway. Yeah, so like, just sell up Robbie and buy <laughs> yeah. a bigger place. Well, oh, to be honest, he's he actually he's very recently he's he's said he was effectively homeless. Now, I don't understand why, because this feud's been going on for years. And, like, so he's, he's just bought, like, a house for, like, billions already, like, mm. recently. I don't think it's this one, because this feud's been going on for years. So, we'll see. Um, so, Sir Paul McCartney's been named uh, the UK's richest musician with £865 million fortune. Um, now, I don't know where this comes from, because I think this is, like, a musical fortune, because there are richer musicians in the UK who have had hits and things, but they've just invested in property and things. Mm. So, like, because, like, Joe Brown's like that. And Joe Brown, in theory, supposedly, allegedly, is the richest musician in the UK because of that, but not music-wise. So, but anyway. Uh, but the imagine list... if Paul McCartney was your lanyard. I know, right? <laughs> Do you think he'd uh, pop round and fix, like, the plumbing and stuff? <laughs> I mean, I prefer Robbie, have been... Have been... <laughs> I can't speak today. This is too early. We don't. We're doing this we very don't, early. We, we don't day. usually do this too yeah. early. I feel like I need an espresso. I need to. I think you're the first person I've spoken to today, so that's why my tongue's yeah. a bit tired. I'm yeah. loosening. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, all right. So we got the top ten list here, right? This might some of this might surprise you. Paul McCartney's number one. U two number two. Andrew Lloyd Webber number three. I'm not U2 surprised number yet. Two. Yes, but we're talking about UK. Yeah, that, well. Or is this Britain and Ireland? Well, yeah, I think it's a. Britain and Ireland okay. yeah um Andrew Lloyd Webber I'm not surprised by Elton John I'm not surprised by Sting I'm starting to get a bit surprised mm. some of the artists later on I'm like oh okay mm. Mick Jagger next Keith Richards next the mm. two of them come next to each other that's because they wrote the songs that they're songwriting mm. to like Lennon McCartney mm. <laughs> so and they haven't had a solo career so they're stuck sort of where they are um Danny and Olivia Harrison are next that that's technically counting on the state but Danny is a musician I was gonna say so that is very because surprising. Danny's a musician in his own right he gets there. Ringo Starr's number nine. So there's another Beatle. And Ed Sheeran's number 10. Which actually is testament to him. I was going to say, when I saw Fair him play. at number 10 on this list, I was going to say, that's surprising. I would have thought he'll be higher, but for his age, considering yeah. the yeah. average age of everyone and else. considering who's list. in front of him yeah. as well. I mean, I don't think... Oh, I'm like, surprised Harry Styles isn't on that list, actually, but I guess... But it's split up between a band most of this stuff. So in terms yeah, of yeah, that's yeah. true. So... Um, You'll like this because this is like sort of 90s Brit poppy type stuff. Um, Saffron, lead singer of Republica, has announced that um, it's been announced in the news media that she's actually been balancing her music career with a day job as a mental health and social care worker. Oh, that's cool. Which I thought was really nice. I just yeah. thought, but it's only just come out of the news now. She's been doing it for years. That's cool. <laughs> I just thought it was really nice. Um, Breakout Music Festival has been cancelled due to poor ticket sales. Uh, the event was to raise money for the NHS, but no one's going apparently. So Yeesh. there we go. Um, Mick Jagger has come out saying that he's missing playing with Charlie Watts. He says the son, the son's drum obviously passed away last year, um, and now they're back on tour. So he just says it just feels a bit too different, really. But they're going to continue for the fans, so fair play to them. Uh, Bruce Springsteen has announced uh, twenty twenty three world tour. Uh, it'll be beginning February next year. UK dates not yet announced, so they're going to be announced later. So, but they are going to be on the tour, just not yeah announced um Noel Gallagher actually I don't know if you heard this story he received urgent St John's ambulance treatment at the Etihad Stadium after celebrating Manchester City winning uh, and what's funny about this this is what's so funny about this. so well this is what's funny about this so 
Um, so when they won the Premier League, right, basically what happened was, because he's in a box with all the players' families, mm. <laughs> essentially what happened, him and the footballer Ruben Diaz, his father, accidentally like headbutted each other because they were jumping around celebrating. <laughs> And I saw arms around each other and they just head by. And no one needed several stitches. He just couldn't bear his brother being sent off attention with the new album. I know, right? <laughs> he had to just injure Yeah, himself. he was like, God, I need to get in the newspapers today. Um, going back to festivals, uh, BBC study has found that only 13% of UK festival headliners are female. Um, and the festivals are saying that they're doing a 50-50 split. But it's like, well, you're not splitting the headliners, though. No. So, and the headline is the main attraction. You got 50-50 split headliners and 50-50 split the overall as well, in my opinion, mm. personally. And I, there's enough female talent out there. I'm sorry. There's enough. There was a... I can't remember who I was talking to about this. I heard that there was a festival that used to do one date or, like, one event, but now they've split itself into two. So they're doing... One male and female. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. I can't remember what the name of the festival... This is why I need to do research before getting on the podcast. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the festival or when it's happening. Um, but yeah, apparently there's one festival that used to have men and women mm. artists on the same lineup, And yeah. now they're doing two separate venues where... Which I don't really like the idea of like an all-male festival because yeah, that like... doesn't sound like... <laughs> A great yeah. idea, but I I love that they that they're doing a female yeah. only stage. I mean, it, the thing is, is like, I mean, I I've been to a lot of events that are like I've been to like events like they're called Write Like a Girl and things like that, where it's only female artists on, and like obviously you 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 won't ever get right like a guy or right like a man because you know is already in a privileged position to be a man in music. Or yeah, whatever. I mean, that's it's, like it's 90% of happen. festivals anyway. It's just not going like to happen. Um, so I, I can see why an all-female lineup would be good. But yeah, as I'm agreeing with you there. I don't like the fact that they just split it in half. Mm, I like the idea good. of it. The mm. idea is great. As I said, it's a good idea. But the all-male side, because as soon as you said that, I said, oh, that's a good idea. But I immediately thought, but that's also polarising. But I didn't know if you wanted to go down the route. So I held back a bit. <laughs> because it's slightly, it's, it's very much polarising. But it's also like, I think a lot of the female artists might also be like, well, I think a lot of them are going to go, we'll do it because it's, it's it's making a stand and doing something. But they also go, well, I actually want to be integrated within because I want to feel like I'm equal and not like separate. And I have to be put on a pen. I have to be put in something to make people see me, like something special to make them see me. And it's like, they don't, they're good enough. Like music fans do listen to them. So festivals that they want to get all the people who are just casual listeners who won't go to see them and, I- and, and who where there is an issue that's where the issue lies is casual listeners not music fans personally i think but i think the issue is just that male artists are by virtue of them being male are still just fast-tracked to yeah. headline slots but hopefully we'll see i mean oh, yeah. the fact that this conversation is happening means that there we're going to see a change yes exactly that's what that's what i want to see anyway. i mean i see more female artists at gigs than i do male by a long shot i just i just prefer going to see them i think i think i actually prefer because being a writer i actually think so I genuinely think when I go see a gig, I listen to the female singers talk about like why they wrote something. It's just so much more insightful. Like <laughs> just like it's too brutish some of the. And that's that's the reason why a lot of these the male singers I see are still doing the club circuit is because they're just too brutish. They haven't got that. There's no. It's almost like they can't get past. Like there's no tactile subtleness to them in any way. <laughs> Well, it's like all the girls do, but that's why the girls go on to become more successful from the gigs I go to. Like, they're always the ones on the rise. The guys stay where they are, but they're always the ones on the rise. So, see? Power. 
power. Come on. <laughs> I will fight that cause until the day I die, I think. Um, anyway, um, Bjorn from ABBA has come out saying that uh, they won't be releasing any more new music. So Voyage should, in theory, be the end. Um, and then these tour shows and everything. But that, that tour I like show how you pronounce forever. it Voyage. Voyage, yeah. Voyage. <laughs> voyage. Well, ABBA Voyage. It's like Voulez-vous. <laughs> yeah. Voyage. Um, and the last piece of news, and this will link to the listens this week. Uh, so in less than three days since its release, Harry Styles' new album, Harry's House, broke the modern era vinyl record sales. Oh, that is impressive. So that's essentially post-2015, really. Who held it before? Was it Arctic Monkeys with AM? I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think who it might have been who would have held it before. Um, I don't know, no. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like... That's, that's homework for you, listeners. Yeah. Find I mean, out and let us know. It may well have beaten a new album release because, like, the sales for Olivia Rodrigo, Charlie XCX, uh, the sales for um, even the Black Hot Chili Peppers record... Not Black Hot... Red Hot Chili Peppers record. <laughs> Black Hot Chili Peppers record. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Um, no, the new Red Hot Chili Peppers record and... Um, you can tell it's early. We're really yeah, struggling today, aren't we? Uh, We're going to pause after this, get some coffee, and then... I mean, like I always say about my podcast, if I don't grab you in one episode, then don't listen. Don't, what? Listen to another one. <laughs> if you're listening to this one. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's just broken those. So, moving on to the listens, I will start with Harry Styles. It's not the first one I was going to start with, but I'll, I'll start with it. Um, Harry's House, I listened to it, and it was, like, it was incredible. Um, it's, he is such an artistically valid and expressive artist. Mm. I, I, mean, I love As We Were, which is the big single from it, isn't it, as far as I'm aware, because that's the one I knew. Yeah, that was the lead single. I didn't yeah. like that, that. Well, it's not that I didn't like it. It's a perfectly nice song, but it didn't inspire me to listen to the album. And then it just, it's one of it's, those songs that slotted when, into the When it's album in the perfectly. album, it's, it's, it's a very different yeah. song, isn't it? As It Was, that's yeah. what it's called. Yes, As It Was, yes. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, no, I, I just wish, the only thing I wish about Harry is that, his voice, I would, I'm getting used to his voice and getting used to identifying it because I'm listening more to him, but it's not the most unique voice in the world. And often, as in vocal tone, we're not his voice as in what he's writing is unique. Hmm. Yeah. And often he is quite good at putting on different vocal styles as well, I think, mm. which works in his favour for me as someone who likes artists who put on characters mm. and do stuff different like that, but it doesn't help with that identifying his voice out of yeah, you know, he, the lineup. Yeah, he's and I think we're seeing it already like he's not he should be he should be up well there's two reasons he might not be and I think I think that is one of them is, is that it's not the most identifiable voice in the world. I think the other one is that actually he's doing something that's that is uh, he's actively going against the mainstream. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what's stopping it because he should be up there where he should be there with Adele Taylor Swift. Ed Sheeran. He should be in these top elite artists that are currently out at the moment. And I think he's just that tiny step below. He's like, if they're the god tier, he's on the top tier kind of thing. Along with Olivia Rodrigo, Charlie XCX and all these others as well. They're on that top tier. Whilst you've got that sort of five or six who are on the god tier who just aren't getting beaten at the moment. I wonder what extent that is to him having been in one direction. Because I can imagine yeah. for people like you and I, it's exciting that he's doing something so markedly different from One mm. Direction. But I can also imagine Stops potentially One Direction fans who are really, really into mm. One Direction might not like what... And that's a c considerable chunk of the market for people who listen to I mean, Adele and mm. Ed Sheeran. I wonder if maybe it's just a bit too different for some of the OG One Direction fans. And I think also it's like people like... 
I like people I go to gigs with and stuff. They won't. I've told them the album's incredible and they should listen to it. And it's so. Did they refuse because he was in one direction? Because it's a, That's yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. Like I would love for them. I, I, at one point, I'm probably going to force it on them. And just, just play like, it yeah. at some point without telling them that's Harry Styles. Yeah, exactly. Because like, oh I'm I'm intentional behind the vinyl of it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll go into this listen because I know this is one you want to have listened to. Uh, Zach Bryan. So he's an indie country artist who I'll give you some background. He's an indie country artist, right? who became famous from filming iPhone videos and putting them on YouTube. They went viral on Twitter, of all places. Um, Interesting place for yeah, things to go viral. Exactly. Videos. Uh, he's, he was in the Navy. He's been in the Navy up until he signed this record deal, which is, this is his first record deal label like album. He's not on Warner Music Nashville. He's on Warner Music uh, Group or something like that. But anyway, it's based out in, so loads of country artists, he's based out in, uh, in California, but he's not based in California. Um, but that's where the label is. Um, and yeah, no, so up until now, he could have been called back into the Navy at any point. Um, he he has released two albums independently himself um, and an EP. But now this is out. Uh, it's called American Heartbreak and it's fantastic. Honestly, it's well worth a listen. His voice is just so authentic and real. It breaks. But part of that is that the producers allow it to break as a voice. Like, and he's a great writer. He writes with his spirits just always there. Uh, it's an always engaging listening. And it is 34 tracks long, I think. It's a long album. It's over two hours. Um, now, like, the thing is, it all works. And I was never not entertained. Mm. And that's what's amazing about it, is that there's no real duds on the album for 34 tracks. But it is long. And it's daunting for some people. Um, but I, I, I just put it on over two or three commutes. Like, it's easy. Just break it up if you need. It's fine. It still works. But yeah, no. Honestly, it's all got room to breathe on the album. Everything's got room to breathe. It's gorgeous. Listen. And the other listener, which is one we both listened to, and we've kind of... I've, I've not for a while, I haven't listened to an album and just straight away bought it on vinyl. Mm. And I, it's arriving today. Uh, bought the blue Amazon uh, version of it. Uh, it's Liam Gallagher's Come On You Know. I mean, do you want to go talk about it? Oh my <laughs> I'll let God. you go. I was so excited. Um, the all of the singles caught my attention, even if I didn't necessarily love all of them. Mm. But because it represented a noticeable departure from what Liam mm. had been doing for his first two solo albums, I was really excited. And when I put it on from like track one, I was hooked. Mm, it starts with this choir. And it's like something completely unlike anything else yeah. Liam has ever been on. Um, part of it reminded me, like, it felt like a Kanye West opening track. Yeah. The yeah. themes of the album are a lot about, you know, I mean, S ever with Liam, hedonism and rock and roll. My favourite ever lyric of all time is on the third track. Um, and it's what, I was in the back of a cab spangled as a flag in America. <laughs> and it was just... <laughs> fantastically funny um but the whole album i loved i think potentially and maybe this is just recency bias potentially the best album any gallagher brother has been on since what's the story morning mm. glory by far better than anything liam has done yes, in bdi yes. by far better than his first two solo albums yeah. Both of which had some fantastic tracks. And the second album was actually a really good the record. Second the second was album was a was strong really record. This is just more unique. Better, I'd say, than anything Noel's done in his solo mm -hmm. career. I 
I think it narrowly beats out Noel's second album, Chasing Yesterday, and I think quite potentially better than any Oasis album since What's the Story Morning Glory. And I say that as a huge fan of Heathen Chemistry and Dig Out Your Soul. It's just every song does something different. Mm. Some of them, um, Moscow Rules, blew yeah. me away. It's yeah. like an almost cabaret, it's, it's, froggy, yeah. not prog. It's not like prog rock, but it's, the way that it progresses throughout the track, so it's good. like a musical journey. and It's just not the kind of yeah. thing you would expect. On a Liam record at all. We were talking about how, I think before Liam recorded or released the album, he said in an interview that he was working on two albums at the same time. One was more traditional Liam and one yeah. was more experimental. And I do wonder if that ended up actually being the same album. Because while this is definitely the most experimental Liam's been, mm. it's also in many ways the most stereotypical yeah. Liam album because it leans more heavily into his yeah, Beatles influences than the anything way, else he's done. The way I put that was it's fun and experimental, but it still fits within the Liam Gallagher canon. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's no... Like, you put it on and you don't go, nah, Liam, what are you doing? There's no, no point that you do that. You also don't go... He oh doesn't God, start Liam. rapping or yeah. anything. Yeah. There's don't... no Machine Gun Kelly feature. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I loved it as well. Um, Like, I, I kind of... All the praise you gave it there, I pretty much agree with. Um, only thing I would change would be that I think is on par with, on par maybe just a tad bit behind Noel's first solo record for me. That's the only difference because I've always loved that record. That record hit me at the right time, right place. So I've always loved that. But yeah, Diamond in the Dark, Bliss song, Moscow Rules. Um, yeah, insane, as you say, track. insane. And it's like a John Lennon song. Mm. Now, do we make the joke? Moscow and Lennon. Len, Len, Len. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> I, I just, oh, I mean, you mentioned it's Noel's first solo album. I think this sort of does for Liam, could do for Liam's career what, what Noel's did. first album did for his, because Noel made a statement with his first solo yeah. album that even though Dig Out Your Soul was sort of leaning towards that, it presented a sonic departure, and he was like, yeah. what I'm doing is not Oasis. Don't ask me for Oasis it's going to be something new and different yeah. and interesting. And I think Liam, for a long time, the narrative, will, even though I feel like Liam Gallagher is getting more appreciation as a musician now. Yes. He's surrounding himself with the right people. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe we should be praising his writing and production team more than Liam himself. Yeah. Uh, but the Liam Gallagher brand yeah. is of a higher pedigree now. But for years, the more, like, the dominant narrative was that Noel's the more talented brother. He does, he makes yeah. the most interesting music. And I think part of that was the fact that the first BDI record, at least, even though the second one pushed away from that a bit, the first mm. BDI record and the first two Liam Gallagher solo records sounded very much like a continuation of Oasis. Yeah. But this is like... I mean, we were talking about Harry Styles' lack of an identifiable voice. I think Liam Gallagher probably has the most iconic voice in rock right now or yeah. of the last 30 the years last 30 years yeah definitely and the only thing about this record that makes you think like that sounds like oasis is liam's voice the rest of it everything is else completely is new yeah. but it works mm. i was expecting to like the record i was expecting to enjoy the record i enjoyed his first two records i thought his first two records had some brilliant tracks mm. but also lots of filler this had no filler every yeah. song had its place every song was exciting and it's so euphoric it came yeah. out at the perfect time 
I think it was the NME review said it was something like the perfect soundtrack for the third summer of love. And it's mm. such a happy and euphoric and triumphant record. And it mm. feels it feels like sitting in the park with your friends drinking cans. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's great. The only thing I actually think that could be improved, and you saying that, yeah, actually it is a for a British album, it obviously we we've spoken before, I don't know if we've done it on the podcast, but I know we've spoken with you before, how American music and British music, one sounds hot, one sounds cold, respectively. Yeah, there is mm. that sort of, there's that feel to it. This is a warmer sounding British record, mm. but the cover's very sterile and cold, I mm. find, because the album cover's just, I think, I think it's a very photoshopped image of a crowd show that, of one him of his shows. fans. Yeah, yeah, him with his fans, yeah. But it's the colours of it, it could have been a summery looking album cover, which wouldn't fit the brand so much but mm. would fit the record so well and might have done and also the departure might just because he's going to sell records anyway to Liam mm. Gallagher the departure in the, the the look and everything might have helped him as well might have been pushed even further but I mean it's, it's going to be a successful record no matter what it's going to do well it's amazing well it's ironic because one of his lyrics in I think the lead single or the second single was I'm sick of acting like I'm tough and it's like a really tough <laughs> like laddie looking yeah Album cover, but I guess it leads into the Summer of Love. But there was something that I wanted to mention about this Liam record. Mm. Um, because I listened to your podcast with Rose, mm. who, yeah, a friend of ours from yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was a brilliant Thank episode. You. Thank you. I, 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 th- I loved it too. I thought it was a great, great episode, yeah. And I especially loved you and Rose talking about Britpop because that's what essentially, you know, <laughs> we were listening to when we were in yeah. sixth form. Um, and you mentioned, and I completely agree with this, that even though Oasis have sort of become like the poster child for Britpop, they were the least Britpoppy sounding Britpop yeah. band. Uh, really, they hardly fit the label at all. But this is the first time I've noted, like, this feels like a post-Britpop record. Yeah. There were a few songs that reminded me of... A um, couple of songs really reminded me of Cast, who, mm. if our listeners don't know, were a brilliant Britpop band. Um, especially their first album is just... Really, very much it. a fringe Britpop band, underrated Britpop band yeah, type thing. Massively yeah. underrated. Um, and some of the like arrangements reminded me almost like lent almost into the art pop mm. of like blur and pulp a bit. Yeah, I it it feels like Britpop is back. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and this is a 2022 Britpop record. Yeah, basically. Yeah, um, I mean. Yeah, we're, we're definitely starting to hear that sound come back again, especially even in like indie rock music is coming back. And, and indie rock is, I'm seeing it slowly getting out out of that sort of, um, what's the word for it? You know, like the dreamlike soundscapes mm. and into more melody driven pop fun tunes, mm. which is kind of what Britpop really was. Mm-hmm. Like, so we, I think we're going to hear more of it and I'm looking forward to it. I'm Yeah, genuinely. We had a break, as promised. Um, grab some Coke. The drink kind, not the other kind. It's way too early for the other kind. Uh, we do not condone drug usage on this podcast. Feeling a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I just realised that you and Rose had basically an identical exchange to do with drinking Coke and in yeah, your we, other we, podcast. We did, yeah. Um, anyway. We made the same joke, yeah. Someone got there first. Damn it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe we should have had a longer break. <laughs> this is the messiest podcast so far. But you know what? I kind of love it. Oh. <laughs> I kind of love it. It feels the most authentic. <laughs> Just necking that down. So I had a euphoric experience the other day. Mm. Mm. Uh, but that's not appropriate to talk about on the podcast. But I also, <laughs> I also went to MCR. <laughs> I went to Milton Keynes um, last Saturday, I think. Oh, God, it was a week ago. A week yeah. ago, I went to Milton Keynes. And that's it. That's the whole story. It was euphoric. It was... Yeah, you saw My Chemical Romance. Romance. <laughs> hey, have you listened to the other album, Voyage? Voyage. My There's a lot of about romance on it. Um... I went to Milton Keynes to see my favourite band as a teenager, possibly one of my one of my favourite bands of all time, even though I've not really listened to them much in years. My Chemical Romance split up in 2013. I got into them after they released their last record. Mm. And I was really excited when I was like a 14 or 15 or whatever year old kid because like they were giving they were in the process of recording a new record. They were giving interviews. I was like, oh my God, they're going to release a new album and I'm going to see them live. And then they broke Mm. up and I was devastated because, you know, when you are at that sort of age, you assign a special kind of importance Mm. to bands, um, especially a band with the mythos that MCR had. You know, there's a big narrative around MCR, like saving people's lives because they're Mm. so vocal about uh, certain issues. And I was really attached to the idea of the band. I loved the band. I was devastated that I would never hear this new music. I was devastated mm. I would never hear them live. And then in 2019, they reunited uh, with a surprise announcement on Halloween of 2019, a one-off show in The Shrine in LA, which was shortly followed by the announcement of a world tour to happen in 2020, mm. which obviously got delayed because of COVID. Yeah. They have always been one of my favourite bands. They yeah. were my favourite band as a teenager. I wasn't planning on seeing them live. I was not planning on seeing them live. The reason I wasn't planning on seeing them live was because I had such an idealised view of mm. MCR in my mind. And I, it's almost like, you know, don't meet your heroes. Mm. I was scared that if I saw them live and they didn't live up to my expectations, bearing in mind as well that they hadn't performed in a decade mm. or in almost a decade. Um, and they're like sort of, I don't want to say part, like the phrase past their peak, not in a derogatory way, but just in a factual way. Yeah. Significantly past the peak of their career, which happened in 2006. I was a bit worried that if I saw them, I would feel let down and I would never be able to listen to them them again. Yeah. But I got to about three weeks before the gig. Um, Somehow tickets were still available. I think it was resale tickets. And I was speaking to Rose, funnily enough, um, about it because she had tickets. We actually ended up sitting. For, uh, I'll, I'll get onto that in a second. Uh, but yeah, and I just decided that I would regret it forever yeah. if I didn't go. We don't. They've released a new single since on, I think, episode two of the podcast. I said, I bet they're going to release new music. Yeah. And they did. Uh, we still don't know if they're going to release a new album, but they released a new single. And I was, we don't know if there is going to be a new album. We don't know if they're ever going to tour again. We don't know if this is a one-off world tour. We just don't know. So it's like, I'll regret it forever if I don't go. So I forked out the 70 mm-hmm. quid, 80 quid, whatever Which on the tickets. Which is much in Monday money for tickets. Oof, depressingly. And yeah. I went. Um, and I'm so glad I did. because Not only because now I'm like, I've seen MCR, but also because it was amazing. Yeah. But also, amazingly, uh, MK Stadium, I think about 
I think there was a crowd of around 30,000 people. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. No no misinformation on this podcast. Yeah, it's Milton Kingdon Stadium, so it would be... Yeah, they'd be able to have about twenty to 30,000 people, I'd say, in their stadium. It was huge. I, I knew Rose was going to the same day. I just went by myself. I was like, I asked a few friends. No one was interested. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to let that stop me from going. So just rock up at Milton Keynes Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult to get to. Um, it had is. a lovely day walking around Milton Keynes. <laughs> and, it's not near the station, is it? Oh my God, it's so far away. Yeah. So I had to get a train to Bletchley, then walk half an hour <laughs> across a highway, essentially, to the stadium. Anyway, I got to the stadium. I was just walking along, looking for my seat, and I hear someone shouting my name. And I'm like, what? And I turn around and it's Rose. Yeah. And we were so shocked that we ended up like bumping into each other in this huge stadium mm. of 30,000 people. We said we might meet up for like a drink or whatever beforehand and we just never did because difficult to arrange. Um, we were so shocked that we actually bumped into each other. But even more shockingly, we ended up being sat by complete chance on the same row, like 10 seats down from each other. Yeah. Which was just mad. Like I... From pictures, Do the math, it's completely like insane. Yeah, yeah. You look close from pictures, like when I could see from both of you on Instagram. We were literally stuff, but... 10 seats down from each other by complete <laughs> chance. But it was so good. Yeah. And it was my first time ever seeing My Chemical Romance live. But it didn't feel like. I don't. There's no way to say this without sounding ageist but it didn't feel like watching a bunch of 40 year olds no. on a stage yeah the energy that they had was electric it felt exactly like i imagined they were during the peak of their career mm. the performances were really tight i'm getting a bit flustered just remembering it um Gerard Way, the lead singer, is known for like, you know, his stage stories. And those were basically intact. Between every other song, he would like just ramble for about five minutes. It's hugely entertaining. At some points, it almost turned into a stand up comedy yeah. set. I just. There's, you know. It was life affirming. I think that's the mm. thing. It was so good. I think My Chemical Romance while they have pedigree now, they are essentially seen by our generation as like a legitimate rock band, an important yeah. band in the history of music, a very important band for, you know, the 2000s. For a while, it was seen as embarrassing to like them. Mm. You know, we were in high school when they were popular. They definitely had the reputation of like weird emos who like encourage self, yeah. self-harm and all of this absolute crap. Um, and I've never been ashamed to be into My Chemical Romance, even though, like, aware of the fact that it was embarrassing to be into yeah. them at the time I was into them. But it felt like a justification of my teenage love for yeah. them. And, yeah, I don't really know what... It's one of those experiences that... It wasn't a concert, it was an experience, yeah. you know? yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you were saying, you know, before the podcast, like, it, it's it's basically telling you that it's okay to like the things that you liked as a teenager. Yeah. And, like, I think that's why, like, it's things like, I, I've, 
I've uh, got all the Carpenters records on vinyl, right? Nearly all of them. I think I'm missing one or two. Um, but that's something I've always liked Karen Carpenter's voice. I've always thought she's the best female vocalist out there, as in for technical brilliance. Um, others would say she's not, but it's the clarity and the pureness. But, you know, people would also take the mick out of you because you're into the like, our boring 70s music, girly music as well. Um, I never saw the Carpenters as an embarrassing band. I always saw them as quite a cool that, band, but well, maybe that's because I'm uncool. Well, this is the thing. They're, they're very much like... They are the charity shop records. Like I, I haven't paid more than a pound for a Carpenters record. Like It's the boring charity shop records that the record stores don't want because they're not cool. Um, you get the same with... I mean, I've got it with a few artists in in, in my... You know, in in my psyche, uh, that just aren't cool. And there, there was, well, I, I'm not into them. Luckily, I'm not into them. I'm a cool guy. I'm not into Coldplay. Uh, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about coolness on this podcast. It has actually, hasn't there? Well, no, but there's the thing like it's like Simon Garfunkel, like to twenty years ago. So when I was like, well, not even, well, maybe when I was first getting into music, it was sort of the changing point for Simon and Garfunkel becoming cool again. Mm. Um. So, like, they went through a period where it was like, oh, my God, this is boring, folky 60s music. Uh, and actually, people, like, it, it's, it's a generation with older artists that are considered not cool. Because, obviously, Mike and for you were a current band not being not cool. But, like, for me, a lot of the uncool stuff I've listened to is 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 older stuff. Uh, because the bands that I tend to be into are usually actually considered to be quite cool and current like people like like John Mayer all the country music I'm into is considered to be very cool and, and, and in the UK has grown in my lifetime as well um, so like those things are I thought we said no misinformation but... on this podcast and so now you're saying country music is considered cool just <laughs> so lying funny. out of your teeth so funny <laughs> uh, wait, no to be fair in the UK not so but it's, if people understand what type of country you're on about if you're talking about contemporary and new stuff they then listen and after a while they tend to get it um, but with the old stuff, yeah, no, you'll never be. Um, but but saying that, like with me, for, for older artists, like they go in and out of favour when generations lose them, and they certainly got lost after the nineties. The, the the people who were born in the eighties very much got into Simon Garfunkel, Nick Drake, and all them lot. Nick Drake was so new that he kind of transcended through to the next generation. Simon Garfunkel just got lost for our generation, and we had to rediscover them. And actually, like a lot of the Simon Garfunkel fans now are my age, or our age, and younger, like because they they're now back in again, you know. And I think the Carpenters have had that slightly as well. Um, like, there's always gonna be some bands that are just uncool, like people like Leo Sayer and stuff. He ain't gonna come back to ever be cool again. Like these seventies are, they, even like David Essex, you know, like they're not gonna come back to be cool again. The Osmonds, and the Osmonds have a chance because the Osmonds were a rock band. They just had that. We'll, we'll do it. We'll it, do it with you know? Music Fits for podcast. Yes, we'll, we'll make yes. the Osmonds cool again. <laughs> we can make them cool again. But they are, yeah, nice. It's, it's interesting seeing. So we've talked about a bit about Liam Gallagher uh, so far today. It's interesting that Oasis are becoming uncool again. Mm. Like, they were very cool when we won sixth form. <laughs> or at least, you know, our famously uncool group of friends thought that they were very cool. <laughs> but now the younger generation. Like people just a few years younger than us see them as a really distant and boring nineties band. Yeah, I think it's interesting seeing the renaissance of ABBA because ABBA have had a reputation amongst our generation being uncool in the same well overplayed made them being uncool in yeah. the same vein of sort of like Queen as yeah. being 
cool in an ironic and camp way, like yeah. being so uncool that they're the kind of thing that you want in a cheese room in a club. Yeah. Uh, so lots of people for our generation are excited about ABBA's revival because yeah. it's like, oh my God, the band that we ironically listen to when we're drunk on yeah. the dance floor. And the funny thing is, is actually that it's <coughs> made people realise how smart ABBA are, firstly. Queen were, the film, the, I don't think the film changed much. I think the film brought them a wider audience that weren't aware of them. I think the attitude on Queen changed five, ten years before. I think they were uncool sort of in the early 2010s and then they became cool again after a while. Um, I think then the film was made because they come back into the zeitgeist mm. and become cool again. Um, but yeah, Partially no, because of like Bohemian Rhapsody being such a staple in cheese nights and clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But honestly, when I went to a student nightclub in Nottingham, like every, you know, about one in 20 songs or one in 10 songs was either an ABBA song or a Queen song. So it's yeah. like, don't stop me now. Mm. Bohemian Rhapsody, other ones. Other ones, yeah. Other ones. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's that's the thing with... um, Yeah, and it's it's funny because Queen aren't necessarily a danceable band. but they No, they're not. But you can rock out. To. Yeah, exactly. You can rock out. Yeah, and... You can't dance with Bohemian no. Rhapsody. But you can but just it's, like... It's... And when people are like, you know... I mean, they were student nightclubs, yeah. When people are in the endorphin rush of living away from home for the first time, like being surrounded by like mm. easy access to like alcohol and being able to get like as shit faced as they want mm. without feeling embarrassed about it because that's a culture. All people want to do is freak out to like yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's it's a perfect song to yeah. just freak out and let your hair And down I think you. like when you say if you if you say Queen are like a cheesy band to people now, people are raging below now, a lot of them will have a go at you. <laughs> Which is funny because they, they, sound like fun they now seem like really legit again. Like they seem so legit again. And I think, like, I, th- I think it's it's people just come. To, I genuinely think it comes down to the writing. I think once people realise the writing is so smart and unique and different and clever, I think then it switches because it goes, no, this is serious again. Because you because it, it's artistic intent and validity, isn't it? That makes it not cheesy. The less validity they appear to have, the more cheesy they are. The thing with ABBA is it's pop. So it's always going to have that element. You can't get the cheese out of it. But the cheese is getting lost because people are going, God, the writing's incredible. Oh, my God. Like, it's, yeah. No. I want to circle back to my my chemical romance. And I'm mm. going to do a smooth segue by... <laughs> by because, announcing it's a segue. By announcing it's a segue. <laughs> um, but because, like, one of their primary influences was Queen. Yeah. And I think we've witnessed the revival of my chemical romance to talk back about, like, their perceived coolness in a similar vein in that emo kids who you know used to like secretly listen to my chemical romance are now ecstatic about the fact that the black parade is now played quite often in mm. cheese nights in clubs yeah. in the same way bohemian rhapsody is so it's interesting yeah. to see like a micro version of that sort of time span and lifespan yeah but they have sort of i want to talk about their new single for a bit if yeah, I can. yeah yeah feel free um you say feel free, but there's a look in your eyes that's like, I'm going to edit this out of the podcast. <laughs> no, I, I I, just, I haven't listened to it. I, I don't, I, I have. I'll tell you, I have briefly. I haven't sat down and focused on it. But you've never been I'm into just not a MCR. big No, Mike of the Romance fan, so. I have to say, it's sort of, so if seeing them live legitimised my love for them as a teenager, this single... Mm legitimize my love for them as a band yeah. i think it was definitely a statement it sounds 
exactly like I would expect MCR to sound like in 2022, whatever mm. that very vague statement actually means. Um, they had been teasing music for a while. They released a couple of like promo videos for their tour over the last few years with some music in it. Uh, nothing that they officially titled, nothing that they yeah. officially released, but like new music recorded by the members of MCR. Maybe we'll see them as full tracks one day, or maybe they were just recorded as a soundtrack for these tour announcement videos. Um, But it felt like a fully fledged song taking on those sort of sonic ideas. Um, And it felt like fresh and interesting and exciting Mm. without feeling like it was pandering to nostalgia. There were definitely recognisable elements of all previous Michael McCormick songs in it without feeling like it was just trying to be the Black Parade again. Yeah. Because now lots of people are discovering the Black Parade through cheese rooms and yeah. through, like, you know, TikTok and the growing popularity yeah. of the band amongst the younger generations. Um, it felt like a mature sort of prog metal mm. song with some really interesting incorporation of like slight screamo elements and yeah yeah it was um if michael mccromance are, are still kind of seen by lots of people today as a cheesy emo band mm. this was an artistic statement that shows like yes we can do like you know the big emo anthems but we can mm. also do serious music yeah 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 and uh, yeah i mean it's interesting because when bands reform whilst they're still quite young because they're not old like 40s in rock music isn't old no, so it's not old. like when bands reform when they're still young they still have a chance to give you like really valid new artistic mu- music and that's what that's what's so sad about the beatles never reforming because that's what you probably may have got in the 80s mm. um so it, it's it's I prefer it when bands do that, as Blur did that, for example. Swayed um, did that. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I prefer it because you feel like you're getting... You're not getting a legacy album. You feel like you're getting an extension album, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Like, and it's always better for an artist to take some time away in, and then produce something that they feel mm. genuinely excited about after a decade than it is for them to just churn out albums once every two years. Yeah. That end up feeling... Only the elite artists can do that and consistently do it well. I mean, yes, they're going to have misses, but they will have hits as well. Like Only only the, the elite ones can do that. Some of my favourite artists, not naming any names, <coughs> Coldplay knew me at six, <laughs> I, they release so regularly... Mm. And it's just like, I would rather they actually spent more time between their releases mm. and fledging out ideas rather than... But I, it's part of the contemporary culture of, like, artists need to feel like they're constantly putting out yeah. new stuff to seem relevant. And the thing is, as well, it, it's what well, we have to also appreciate with these younger artists, like we're talking about here, or younger, or newer, let's say... Um, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, you were expected to release an album per two per, per year originally, per two years it then went mm. to, then per three max and three, they were, the record company was looking at you going, come on, mm. where's the album? So, like, I mean, Springsteen's Born to Run came out a solid, no, was it, no, Darkness on the Edge of Town came out three years after Born to Run, which was his most commercial album so far mm. out of his 
three albums already released. So the fourth is Darkness on the Edge of Town. Took three years. The record label was so nervous. They were just nervous. And he recorded 75 songs for it. With Fully recorded 75 songs for it. Whittled it down to well, 10, 11, however many it is. Um, took out the two that the label wanted him to have on it. Because they said they were dead, dead certain hits. Both of which went to uh, number one with other artists. Because mm. <laughs> it gave them away. Um, so, like, the pressure is has always been there. And if anything, the pressure was there more. Because, like, there's bands that are releasing every four or five years now. And people are going nuts over it. Um, it makes <laughs> to be like, fair, sometimes artists take a break of four or five years, ten years, and their comeback records still aren't any good. No, so, exactly. You know, so it, it can be may, maybe way. I was being a bit unfair with my <laughs> statements before. <laughs> Potentially. Song recommendation. Okay, so uh, song recommendations this week. Um, Teo, do you want to let me know what I recommended to you? You recommended to me Touch Me by The Doors. I did. And it was fine. Uh, <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> it. Those who don't know the song, it's quite different from The Doors' normal output of Psychedelia. In that it's quite a, I would say, laid back, toned down rock song. Mm. That's a bit boring. That has some bombastic, operatic and orchestral elements on top yeah. of it. Um, and that's what we were talking about just before we recorded the podcast. That's what's interesting about the song. Mm. The orchestral elements are magnificent um, yeah. after i listened to the song dan made me listen to by gunpoint dan made me listen to <laughs> we're in the, the uk it's fine <laughs> by knife point by some, um, yeah yeah <laughs> the uh the isolated orchestral elements and it's amazing how yeah. like some beautiful 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 pieces of music that that just got sort of drowned out in the mm. mix uh, and I always find it really interesting when artists that don't always, like, you know, some artists always or almost always incorporate mm. strings into their songs. I always find it really interesting when artists who just do it as a one-off experiment Yeah, do and that's it. kind of what this song is in, in a lot of ways. And sometimes they come up with some absolutely phenomenal pieces of classically inspired music. One of the main, um, what's the really big Verve song? Bittersweet, Bittersweet Symphony. Symphony. Yeah. Oh my god, like, lots of... I'm not really that into verb. A verb? Verb. Verb. I verb. Mean, you, don't, you don't like telling people what you're going to do. I don't I don't like <laughs> verb. So I think, I'm not really that into verb, but that song is just... Mm, I was going to say, that song is just musical. <laughs> I need yeah. another code. Yeah, yeah, we know what um, you mean. Like, it, it, it's... Yeah, you're saying it, it's... It's it's symphonic, isn't it? It's yeah, like, it, it feels large because of it. It it feels like a bittersweet symphony, mm. and that that <laughs> punch is from way over your head. No, I I got it. I did get it. You were just yeah. like, I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to validate that with a laugh. <laughs> this is the last time you're ever coming onto my podcast. Please stop with the jokes. <laughs> no, carry on. Like them. I like them. Um, yeah, no, it, but I. I'm not that into The Doors, I've realised. I think they're a band that I would like to like, but I, mm. I just am not really that into them. This song interested me more than most of their songs because of the mm. orchestral elements. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. 
it's probably not going to stick in my head. Uh, it's probably not necessarily going to be something I will always be revisiting. Mm. But it's testament. And no doubt the Doors had to strip back their... I don't know if it was actually members of the Doors playing these orchestral instruments. Or if it no, was they, 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 session they had a brass section and a string section, yeah. So I can imagine the Doors had to tone down their presence so they wouldn't be competing yeah. with this backing. But it is really testament to what additional instrumentation can do to an otherwise yeah. mediocre song. Uh, but yeah. it's interesting because you were saying something about the Frank Sinatra inspiration yeah. behind this. Yeah, track. so so the song comes from, it's a single off of the their Soft Parade album from 1969. Um, it was written by the guitarist Robbie Krieger in late 1968. Now, interesting thing about him as well is that the first song he ever wrote was Light My Fire, which was a number one hit in America. Um, and obviously, Light My Fire is one of the most classic rock songs. Well, the first song he wrote. Classic. So he it? says. Yeah, so he says. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the song is very much influenced by traditional pop music. Um, it's, it's it's the most commercial song they have from the psychedelic era of the band, because they went into more blues rock era later on. Uh, reached number three in the USA. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it's almost like um, Jim Morrison's showing his homage to Sinatra in it. Uh, and I think he was quite inspired by Sinatra in his vocal. In, because he's got a lot of clarity in his voice, even though he's got this deep, brooding voice. You know, he, he's the—he's he, almost like he's the original sad boy kind of thing. Like he is that kind of original. Yeah. That—that's what he has. So, like, he's the original sad boy the should original... be the name of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like this episode, original sad boys. Original sad boys. Um, well, no, yeah, no, he's—he's. He's... His vocal already has that Sinatra in it. This is like when you listen to that chorus, that chorus, the I'm gonna love you, that bit, that's Sinatra through and through, isn't it? There's nothing about that that wouldn't work if Sinatra sang it. Um, so yeah, no, that that's that's the link that lies. Uh, but no, I got your song here. So this is a song that did you hear it for the first time when you sent it to me? As it was recommended to me, okay, by a friend of ours, mm. he was like. I think the message you sent me said something like, tell me that you're inspired by the Beatles without telling me you're inspired yeah. by the Beatles or yeah. something like that. Um, so it's called Bad Hair Day by Francis Lung. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it, actually. Fun little bop. Very McCartney-esque. It's definitely a McCartney-style Beatles tune. Uh, the execution on his part is quite effortless, especially vocally. Um, yeah, I just found it really fun. I don't have much more to say about it. It, 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 it was a really fun song. It was a fun song. Uh Again, not something that's going to stick in your head. Not some, not not something that is going to inspire me to be a lifelong Francis Lung no. fan on this song alone. But I would very much like to listen to the album. Now. It, it caught my attention and it's I've made me think. Okay, it. I want to listen to that mm. album. I've already downloaded the album just to give him more of a chance, um, just to see what else he has to offer. So it, it's interested me. I'll listen it. I'll listen to it at some point. I've just not had the time because I've listened to. You know, I'm just listening to Harry's House and the new <laughs> yeah. Liam Gallagher record over Basically. and over and over and over I mean, again. Yeah. Right now. And I, yeah, I mean, to be honest, actually, there's not been that many new releases coming out recently. So I have got a chance to listen to that. The new releases have just been the ones we spoke about today. Plus You've there's got one an more. extensive like, list of your albums of the year so far, though. I yeah. Think. Well, and that's not all of the new releases no. I listen to. That's the thing. Like, I try and listen to every new release that will interest me mm. in the week it comes out, best I can. I mean, I... I, I go for runs most day and I commute. That's that's three albums, so I can do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm hoping this one will be good. I'm hoping this one will be good. This album by him, but it's not a new release, so I probably won't comment on it on the podcast. But we'll see. Hopefully, it's good.
So going back to a question that me and George answered ages ago, which was a question, actually, I, I, we know the person who posed it as well. It was Ross, who's also been on the podcast. He actually posed this question to us. Um, and the question was, who do you think is the current, well, who do you think are the king or queen? Who is the king and queen of uh, pop? And do uh, and, me and you, I know it should be us. Um, but who's a queen? <laughs> Mateo just did a sly look there, just like, well, you know, kind of look. <laughs> um, uh, so he posts that. I, I actually want to discuss though, um, like, do these nicknames actually hold any real meaning? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> they're self uh, perpetuating myths, aren't they? Yeah, like, I mean, probably just invented by aspirational music journalists you yeah. know you print on the cover of enemy so and so is the king of pop and yeah. suddenly so and so becomes the king of pop yeah it's like i mean i think in terms of king and pop king and queen of pop that's obviously always put to that that's you know jackson and not janet jack michael jackson because it could have fit either um and um and madonna and i think obviously that that's that's grounded from from the success they've had because there's no one who's been more successful than them in pop music as in out and out pop mm. um so that one's based on success obviously king of rock and roll is elvis they mm. say but rock and roll is such a king of rock and roll i mean put mccartney in that one because mccartney's been a rock and roll star for years so i i think yeah as you say they are put onto these artists by journalists um almost i mean i don't even think this genre means anything yeah it's 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 like self-aggrandizing isn't it yeah 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 like well not self not self but it's it's It's... the media trying to do it almost to drum up sales for themselves isn't it which is a bit yeah then you feel bad for the artists who need to like live up to these expectations yeah and with artists like you know we know like michael jackson madonna both of them have struggled with mental health issues Mm. over the years Mm. and you're like Sheer pressure. It's sheer pressure, isn't it? Elvis as well, uh-huh. another one who did. Yeah. One who hasn't is Springsteen with the boss. Well, one who hasn't that you know of. Well, that I well no, but... I tell a lie. I tell a lie. He has struggled because obviously he's he's actually he's had a lot of depression in the past and he he's very open about his depressive periods. But I don't necessarily think it's the nickname because the nickname is given to him by his band, mm. and it's mm. being generated by the band themselves uh, and pushed out there to call him the boss um so i mean the label might have put it out there to call him the boss kind of thing but he was getting called that anyway by you know close fans i feel like that's things. a cool nickname as well like i, th- yeah. I think there's, there's something so uncool about king and queen of pop it's like really yeah. but the boss is quite cool yeah i mean because you have there's also the uh what's it the uh, is it no no gallagher the chief yeah. yes 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 is that given to him by the band? I have no idea. No idea. I think I've heard it used about <laughs> twice. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even sure if it's a widely known thing. <laughs> yeah. Starting to think of it, do, do, does one of our friends just call Noel Gallagher the chief? It is a real thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it I've is. Not yes, just yes, made yes, this yes, up. yes, yeah, yeah. It is a thing, and it's like another one is um, what's another one? Our kid. Our kid. Yeah, our kid is our kid. Um, no, but another one's like um, uh, I just had it in my head and it's totally gone. Uh, but uh, Richard. So not only is he the Peter Pan of pop. Which means that he has to upkeep this image of being this youthful old man. Perpetually in the pop scene. <laughs> yeah, and perpetually in the pop scene as well. But also, doesn't he? I think he, I believe he gets called the Prince 
of rock and roll. Wow, there's a lot well. of P sounds here. I know, yeah, I know. But I think he gets called the Prince of Rock and Roll because he's the... Well, he is the largest rock and roller other than Elvis, I'd say. I mean, I don't know if he cracked America, though. I mean, maybe they call him the Prince because he's the British rock and roller, basically, because he is the British rock and roll singer. It just got really confusing when they started calling Prince the Prince of Pop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 I quite like... Actually, talking about names like that, I, I quite like it when artists give themselves a stage name. Oh, yeah, I love I, stage I, names. I miss... I, 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 well, I say, I say I miss it. It happens more now than it's ever happened before because, like, labels have always been a bit scared of it. Because if the stage name doesn't pull off, if it doesn't come off and doesn't work, then that name would have worked better. Basically. I was I was really surprised when I found out. So I've gone really into Lana Del Rey lately, as mm. you know, and I was really surprised when I found out that that what that isn't her actual name. Yeah, that's like a stage name, and I was like, oh, it just sounds like it sounds like a name. Yeah, and I think. And that, well, that, obviously, like the 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 original one, almost of that is. I mean, there there are ones before, but especially it always goes back to the blues, doesn't it? Like Big Bill Brunsey and people like that, like that Daryl in the thirties and things like Muddy Waters. Darryl, oh, that that yeah. wasn't that no, wasn't his Christian name. That's not that name, yeah. <laughs> but like, like the one that people will always think of as the first one is going to be Ringo Starr, as Richard Starkey. But that's still based on his name. Mm. Like that, that's sort of abbreviations of his name, really. So that's a bit different. Um, what's the best stage name you've heard? I'm trying to think what mine is. I mean, I love Prince. So I could easily say Prince, but. Best stage name. I've got a stage name, like for my poetry. Yeah. Not a stage name, but uh, I'm not saying it's the best I've heard. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting uh, because, like, it's not just a name as well, is it? It's a persona, and you yeah. feel like you've got to live up to this. Like, it's a character. And I do wonder because I know definitely for me the idea of, like, me as, you know, Matteo, me as a regular mm. person, and the sort of, like, character theory of the poet. Obviously, fundamentally the same, but there are slightly different associations you, I have with, like, with each of those. And I do wonder, like, you know, yeah, when when Lana Del Rey is at home, sitting by herself, just being herself and enjoying herself, is she still Lana Del Rey, or is she well, whatever her that's name a story is? That, that's the story that Ricky Gervais tells, isn't it? Because he became friends with David Bowie as years went by, and uh, he turned up to David's flat just to visit him. And he goes, I am. I'm here to see David. And they go, Who? Oh, Mr. Jones. <laughs> they literally say on the count, Oh, Mr. Jones. Yes, 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 that one. Because he's not David Bowie. That's his stage name. <laughs> not like, oh, Ziggy, Ziggy. <laughs> yeah, his name's Ziggy. David. Yeah, it's Jones, isn't it? It's, it's like saying you wouldn't turn up and go. If you were one of Sting's mates, you wouldn't call him Sting. Mm. You called him Gordon. Mm. You know, like you call him Gordon Thomas. You know, um, yeah. If you, if you, else. Elton John's a funny one because Elton John, if you knew Elton as a mate, because he is so like Elton John, that he, that, that's the difference. See, Sting is a stage name, obvious stage name. David Bowie's a bit fantastical as a mm. name. Elton John <laughs> is actually quite a dull name. That's not his real name. <laughs> no, his real name's Reg, Reginald D. White. I can see D. why he changed White it. Or I did know this actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, but like, would you call him Reg? Or would you just call him Elton? Because to be honest, He's I mean, basically moulded into Ellen. Yeah, <laughs> so... at, at some point you can imagine that, like, you know, or quite early on you can imagine that these characters become bigger than the actual people. Yeah. I mean, do you think Elton John, like, introduces himself as Elton or Reginald to people he meets for the first time who just yeah. happen to not know who he is? Yeah, probably Elton. But people he's known in his family for years, he probably 
God, you can imagine, like, with someone who is so famous as Elton John, like, do you reckon he's changed his passport to say Elton John? Because, like, you know, you can imagine... It's it's funny, because I hear stories... The practical issues of being someone who's, like, famous worldwide, but your legal name not being the same as the name everyone knows you by. I can imagine that gets quite annoying if not actively challenging yeah, that point. Because I know like I know Sting is Gordon Summers on everything that he does privately. He is Gordon Summers. And he's Gordon to everyone who knows him. So he's Sting as a public figure. Um but there's other ones like Paul McCartney because that's not his name. Paul's his middle name. So he has another name. He has an actual first name to James, isn't it? James Paul McCartney, I think. And that's why his son's called James McCartney. I, I that might be wrong there. My mind might be going. But um but yeah no like Everyone calls him Paul. Mm. But then, like, we only see people calling him Paul publicly. So even when we see his daughters calling him Paul, they say, oh, yeah, my dad, Paul. It's like, well, yeah, speaking publicly to someone, they're still going to uphold their father's image, aren't they, for him? Mm. I mean, the McCartney family's got a lot of love in it. Like, that's a really tight-knit family. So they're not going to, you know, chuck their dad out on the street and go, oh, yeah, my dad, James, yeah, him. <laughs> like, oh, so they're going to call him Paul. So... It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I think we can agree that would have probably been weird if when Prince was alive, if he was just getting people to call him Prince in this day to day. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, he's got quite a complicated name, hasn't he? He's got quite a, it's quite a difficult name to pronounce if you're not, if you're not from, was he the same culture as him? Uh, and you, you'd never seen it, you never read it phonetically. I can't, I can't remember it. I, I just ju- know it's quite a difficult one to pronounce. I don't think I ever knew what his uh, legal yeah. name actually is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, like us not even knowing what the legal names actually is, which shows yes, just exactly. how much these are personas rather than people. Yeah. Do you prefer the personas or would you like to see the real person? I, speaking as an artist as well, I genuinely don't give a shit about <laughs> real people behind the art. Uh, I mean, I know that, you know, obviously that can be quite complicated yeah. if they get involved in any scandals and stuff, but I do gen- generally think that artists appearing on stage acting in a very public way we need to take the idea of authenticity with a Mm. pinch of salt do you think that when they write then say when prince writes is he writing as prince or as himself or is it a mixture um i remember as well bob dylan good example as well is he writing as it because he's robert is uh, robert zimmerman isn't he so he's bob but he's bob zimmerman Basically, so is he writing as himself? I think there is a difference between people who like, I guess, in terms of like separation of the artist as a person and the artist as a persona. Mm -hmm. There probably is a subtle difference between people who actively choose stage names Mm -hmm. compared to people who modify their names slightly to be more like sellable. Because I can imagine, you know, I was I was having this conversation with a friend a while back about Lana Del Rey and about how she got enrolled mm. in quite a lot of like controversy online because of her songs unfeminist viewpoints and unfeministic mm. situations and I found the whole thing speaking as someone who's you know obviously not a woman but is very mm. much ardently a feminist I found all mm. of the arguments against Lana Del Rey quite ridiculous because it's like you've got to recognize that she is singing as a character yeah and you know may i i don't know what her actual name is because i don't care um <laughs> quite frankly because <laughs> yeah I there's, no, there's no need to know really. but i can imagine if her name actually was lana del rey 
the separation yeah. between her as a person and separation as her as her as a persona will be slightly less, even though, you know, yeah. artists are always performing for an audience. They are always putting on a character, even if they're going by their own name. But because she's chosen this name that sounds quite like it could be an actual name, but also yeah. sounds like it's got quite a lot of gravitas. It's a very interesting name. It's a name that catches your attention. It's like she's so obviously writing yeah. as a character and singing as a character. Yeah. And the, well, the, the idea to imagine that someone is singing and writing as themselves is faulty anyway. I mean, we're, we're, we're songwriters. We yeah. write songs. And while we're definitely like informed by our, per, by our personal experiences, there's nothing... Well, when I write a review, there's barely any of my personal experience in. When yeah. I write on my own, I almost solidly write from personal experience because I have the mixture of when I write a review and when I... You know, See, that's, so... that's interesting because while like, I'll be inspired by situations I've been part in, well, often I just tell stories that have nothing to do with me, but when I am inspired by personal situations, it's always just, you know, exaggerated or fictionalised. Yeah. And I do the same in the fiction I write. I just think that... The idea... The real equation... life is boring. Real life is boring. Well, real life can be the best storyteller, and it can also be the worst storyteller. Real well. life is the best story, but the worst narrative. Yes, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like just, just generally the idea of equating the artist with the actual person who lives their day to day life, who does the laundry, who does the shopping. Mm. You know, obviously they're the same person and they inhabit the same body and they've got the same brain, but it's like. The minute you're doing something for a public audience, mm. you are inevitably fictionalizing yes. parts of yourself yes. to some extent. Mm. And we do the same when we're having conversations with friends. Like, you know, I'm not exactly the same person with, even though I obviously technically literally am, but the way I act, the way I present my personality yeah. is different with you yeah. than it is, you know, we've known each other since we were four years old. It's different yeah. with you than it is even with my family than it is with friends that I met when I was seven, with yeah. friends I've met at university, then when I'm just sitting at home by myself. You know, the yeah. Matteo I am with you is different from the Teo <laughs> Eve who writes poetry, <laughs> but is also different from the Matteo I am when I'm at work with my colleagues, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, and I think it's... it's I think it's about... I think it's actually a boundary thing as well. I think it's... Yeah, you're absolutely. Yourself, my personal life ends yeah. here. And I think these artists set themselves boundaries of, like, I mean, you know, Prince is an extremely private man. Mm -hmm. uh, we still don't know why he didn't write a will. And it could have been for a number of reasons, whether it be religious or whether it be he was still simply quite Maybe dumb. he did, but everyone forgot what his what actual name was. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, exactly. we can't find it. There's, there's no will registered under <laughs> Prince anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely a boundary being created because if there wasn't that boundary we may well have had an answer because he just wasn't letting people in mm. he wasn't letting people I mean, into that when i uh when i chose my like artist name which is obviously very much literally my birth name but just slashed in half mm. um i made a conscious decision in that if i ever do get successful i don't want anyone to know anything about my personal life mm. you know and i think yeah i can't imagine i can't imagine anything worse than being a celebrity and everyone knowing your actual name well this is the thing like i see i don't mind people knowing my actual name but 
I'm very protective over my life. But you're, so, yeah, your Dan Wicks. Yeah. Pu- your public Dan Wicks is still different from your private Daniel Wicks, mm. even though you use the same name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's why, you know, at work, I work in a place where I'm on the phone all the time. I'm speaking to customers all the time. I'm Dan to them. You know, Dan is speaking. Dan speaking. I'm not Daniel there. But I'm Daniel at home. I'm Daniel. Gabby calls me Daniel. I don't get called Dan by her. Um, now, it's I, interesting I prefer because I Dan, used to actually, always call enough. you Daniel yeah. until we started doing this together. And now I call you Dan. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's when I went to university, I bought the it character. Sort of changed. Yeah. But it wasn't me who yeah. changed it. Everyone just called me Dan at uni. So, like, it very much changed. I mean, my thing is, it's like every, not so much for you, because you're more regular, um, but every new guest that comes on, I, I have to brief them. We don't reveal location. We can reveal this. We can do this. And there's a slight briefing to do because... I'm very protective over my private life. On my uh, on my Instagram account as well, I don't let out any details of where I live, where I am, or where I'm going. I, I'm i very hesitant to even talk about the gigs I've been to on my Instagram account. I'm more comfortable here, weirdly enough, because I don't want the picture being out there. You know, like, I don't mind. It's something weird about somebody oh, screenshotting a picture of where I've been. Yeah, or, you know that that yeah, kind of gets yeah. me a bit. But you know, it's a shame for your listeners because the view from your bedroom overlooking the sea in Cornwall is lovely. Truro <laughs> <laughs> is so nice at this time. <laughs> you could have made it more glamorous, could you? You know, Lagos looks great out your window, mate. <laughs> lovely city. <laughs> the Portuguese city. Lagos or the Nigerian? Nigerian, Lagos. mate. That's a good holiday I, destination. I, I, I guess, it's a good holiday destination. I mean, I guess if we're going to like... I'm not dissing it. I'm just specifying. <laughs> I'm not. just specifying. But I, I guess that if you are like... Um, I say that because just If you that, are going to reveal your location mm. while also disguising it, it's best to choose a place that has more than one place in the world with the same name, which is why we're broadcasting yeah. from London, Canada. <laughs> yeah, I let people know London, to be fair. I, I just That was a little treat for my uh, Lagos fans on at thisisvinyl.tap on Instagram, if you'd like to go and follow. Uh, <laughs> But no, because I've I've actually got a really huge following. Huge. So I've got a larger following in Lagos than any other country other than the UK. Other than London. Other than London, any other place other than the UK. So yeah, like I'm weirdly big in Lagos. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. And we're going to fly to Lagos and see your face on billboards. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So this is vinyl dot tap slash music fishbowl. <laughs> Dan Wicks. <laughs> that that's a great way to. I should do a convention out there. Naturally, <laughs> advertise your socials. It was, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I think it's a great time to wrap up. To be honest, anyway, we were, it's it's been a messy one, but I've kind of liked it that way. <laughs> I kind of like the informalness of this one. Um, so yeah, no, um, thank you, Mateo, mate, for coming on. Um, do you want to plug your socials quickly so people know where to go? So you can find me at. On Twitter, or you you can you can find the character Teo E <laughs> at Twitter at T E O underscore E V E underscore, and that's pretty much it. Um, Do you have a is, is your is your work out yet? It's, is, wow, out? yeah, it's supposed to be my friend, and you don't even know if it's out yet or not. No, it's not out yet, it's not out yet. but it will be. So my uh, debut poetry book, The Ox House, is coming out from Penterac Press in July. Um, it's all about the history of our alphabet, the way that letters, like the physical shape and design of letters, letters as visual art, but also explores the tension between the physical shape of letters and the mm. sound that they do or do not produce. Uh, so it's quite interesting for music fans as well, because we think 
that. Well, I was going to say it's you, about you, like the yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, know. you do music-based poetry sometimes as well. I've seen some where you, you directly reference things in music or something along those lines. Uh, well, actually, the opening poem in this um, collection, A, is all about how... There's a line in it that's something like... Um, oh, um, letters create a stave on which the music of themselves play. It's mm-hmm. not exactly like that, but sort of similar to that. Uh, so yeah, definitely some stuff about music and musicality and the musicality of static signs on a page in there, as well as lots of other good stuff. Yeah, no, I'm sure. To be honest, I'm, I'm sure anyone is into into art forms anyway, whether it be music or not, would enjoy it. So yeah, no issues there. I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to having a look myself. That sounded like the ending, like an Oxford University. Uh... <laughs> What's it like? One of those hour-long interviews on on YouTube, didn't it? <laughs> Christ. Um, yeah. No. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. As always, um, thank you for the continued support. Moved up to about I think four thousand two hundred followers on Instagram now, so I'm really proud of that. Uh, it's at this is vinyl dot tap on there. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm thinking of putting a playlist together of all the songs we do for song recommendations. So I'll let you know in the next podcast if I have done that. And I'll let you know where to go as well if you do want to go and listen to any of them if you haven't already. Uh, but it'd be nice for you to have it all in one place and nice and easy. Um, yeah, no, um, next week we have a brand new guest on and it's going to be a, a an absolute love letter to classic rock. It's already recorded, so I know, I know, I know it is. Um, yeah, it's going to be an absolute love letter to classic rock. Um, honestly, I was an absolute fanboy during the session, uh, during the recording session, uh, and there wasn't a single rock star there, but I was just absolutely fanboying over everything that we spoke about. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, thank you, Taylor, for coming on today. Thank it's you been, for having me. It's been amazing. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you guys. <laughs>